It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes on this Monday afternoon. I'm delighted to be joined by Asim Rabani. Welcome back to the show. Asim, I was up at Celtic Park this morning. Um, the wonder round paradise is back and it was freezing, by the way. I mean, the weather <laughs> was bitter this morning. Um, and we were just saying before we came on live, no, I'm a massive fan of this winter shutdown. Asim, you need, a, you need at least one game of football involved in Celtic every week to keep you going, don't you? I don't know about you, but I'm I'm struggling. I was at the weekend. I thought, right, okay, I'll give all the FA Cup uh, football a go. Watch about the Spanish Cup and Serie. Serie, I was decent, but I uh, you, you're just uh, missing the the fix of Celtic. To be honest, um, still another two weeks to go. So the thing is, we probably thought we'd have a lot more transfer rumours and stuff like that to chat about, but it's been it's been quiet on that front as well, which I'm I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, but yeah, definitely missing Celtic big time. No, without a doubt, and I think this this is a big thing. Uh, you kind of you do rely on a lot of the the um, the business being done and the gossip and the rumor mill, etc. Through these kind of times where there isn't that much football to to focus on, but like you say, you know, I was thinking about it this morning because we could have a a whole show breaking down every single rumor, and we might get to that point. But at this stage, I was kind of thinking the other way. I was thinking to myself. You know, since the advent of um, communicative devices like uh, smartphones and social media and all this kind of stuff, there there is such a pressure now for teams and for clubs to respond to that that yeah. fan pressure every single time there's a there's a window. Yet we've spent the last six months I seem saying we're going to have to be smarter with our transfers. You know, recruitment has to be tightened up. And I guess this isn't me. I'm not a board cheerleader here, by the way. Far from it. <laughs> But I'm looking at it at the moment thinking I would much rather take our time on this and yeah. get it right this time round. Yeah, there's, there's two ways to look at it. I guess on, on one hand, you could 
people could argue that we've known about this for months. We know the, the weakness areas. We know what positions we need to strengthen. Surely behind the scenes, this could have all been you know, done so that we can escalate things and, and move quick so that players are bedded in, so that it's not they're not coming in maybe a few days before the, the first fixture. So that's one way of looking at it. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm trying to be quite calm about it in the sense that, as you said, you'd, you'd rather that than a, a scattergun approach again, being linked with every player under the sun, like left, right and centre, where it doesn't seem like there's a proper structure to it. I'm hoping this time around he's he's identified the key areas, um, the positions that we need, and, and more importantly, the quality we need. So if, if you know that's the reason that things are a wee bit quieter just now is because we're, we're trying to make sure we get the best players possible that we can get. Um, and and um, again, it might be from a, a PR perspective, the club may want this first signing or announcement to be, you know, not a statement one, but, you know, one that the manager really wants, one that will excite the fans, one that will get everyone on board. So I wonder if there's a few things at play there. Um, I'm not panicking yet. You know, I know a lot of people are saying it's we're eight days in and we've not heard anything and, and things like that. Um, we've, we've seen this story before with Celtic. So I, I guess people are entitled to, to to be a wee bit panicked and say, it's a, you know, it's the same old story acting a bit slow. But um, yeah, it is the first week, so I'm going to give it a bit of time. I think the manager knows what's required. Um, and I think we will start seeing a few more rumours um, by the end of this week. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we will. Um, I'm going to tie it in. Loads of comments come in and keep them coming. It, it can be a frustrating time. And some of the comments um, would suggest that there are a few of you out there who are quite frustrated with the lack of business. But uh, we were having a wee conversation back and forward about... Um, it, it was actually sparked off by Ollie Buck um, came up on my mentions. And it was probably due to the fact that it was five years ago that we signed Oliver Burke. Um, obviously... You know, he, he does he divide opinion? I seem I was going to say he divides opinion. I don't think I've I've spoken to a Celtic fan who thought he was a, a tremendous player, a tremendous signing. But the the facts are there. He's twenty six years of age, <laughs> and accumulatively, he is the most expensive Scottish footballer of all time. And I think that the reason I'm bringing that up is because it made me delve into previous transfers, and I tried to come up with a, a list of Scottish footballers. Um, in a table, who was the most expensive? And it would surprise you. And I've got a list here. I think there's 26 in it. I assume you've seen the list, right? I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the bottom. <laughs> these are the these are the players. And the thing is, the caveat is, of course, these are guys that have either been born in Scotland or they've decided to play for Scotland, yeah. right? So you could say Scottish either way. Um, Ollie Burke is the most expensive Scottish footballer of all time. If you take all his transfer fees and stick them together, you get 36.9 million euros. Followed by Jordan Rhodes, 34.7. Kieran Tierney, 28.4. This is euros. Duncan Ferguson. So actually, wow. if you were to look at inflation, he'd probably be sitting yeah. top. 28.3. Stephen Fletcher, 27.1. Ross McCormack, 26.6. James McCarthy, 23.7. Uh, Robert Snodgrass, 23.1. How much have I got? Two, four, six, eight. Ollie McBurney, 19.45. And Shea Adams, 18.9. Now, it goes on, and you've yeah. got guys in this list, the 20-odd, like uh, Stephen Naismith, Matt Ritchie, Matt Phillips, Nigel Quashy, Grant Hanley, etc. And the reason I'm saying it is, uh, just throwing money at things, I seem, doesn't always get you what you want. I mean, I think there's 26 players on that list who have cost more than 10 million euros, Scottish players. And when you're looking at it, you're thinking, right, who would I pick? 
who would be my start 11 here? Yeah. And it would probably cost about 200 million uh, to accumulate that. So that is basically my way of saying, you know, chucking 10 million pound or five yeah. or, or eight million quid at a player, it's not going to guarantee our success this time around, is it? Yeah, some some list there, and um, most of which I think we've been linked with, or you know, there was these rumours in, you know, Ross McCormack and Jordan mm. Rhodes. I remember we were forever linked with Jordan Rhodes around that time, and um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting names in there. Um, Ollie Burke was one. Obviously, there's a lot of hype about his first couple of moves, wasn't it? I think he was in Ger- was it in Germany. Um, he did. I he played at uh, Leipzig, maybe. Um, yeah. But, uh, I remember when we signed him, I think it was around the same time we signed Timo, Timo Weir, um, and I, I think a lot of fans were excited about him as well. But yeah, in terms of the, I think it's more of an indication of just how mad the, the kind of spiral of fees became down south in terms of we were just chucking big money at, at players, you know, in the hope that some of them will, will grow into fill their potential a lot of the time. Um, some of the figures there, like Ollie McBurney, you know, I've, I've never really, <laughs> never, never really rated him as a footballer. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, the, on one hand, you, you want us to be, you know, prudent with how we go about our, our business. But by the same token, you've got a few in there um, that you feel like, well, I know obviously John McGinn, I don't think he's on that list, is he? Because obviously he's only gone for, for really one big fee. But if he does go on to, I'm sure he'll probably smash that record um, at some point but there's there's an example of one where when they're playing on our own doorstep and we you know I know there's been a lot of discussion about this recently as well about certain maybe snobbery or but I think when you you know when fans are watching these players you see them week in week out or you see them against ourselves and you can make a good judgment as to whether you think a player will, will be a good fit for us and John McGinn's an example Stuart Armstrong was another example who who I was happy with when we signed them um, and then you'll get others who you, you watch and think, right, okay, yeah, I don't know if they're actually worth these figures that are floating about for them. So it's a mixed bag within that list. Um, but again, I, I guess it's, it is um, a sign of where you just you have to be clever with your recruitment. Aye, without a doubt. And, and I take into account that most of those escalated figures are due to the fact that they've been playing in, or bought by an English team, playing in English yeah. football. And they're buying guys... £10 million plus, like, you know, it's just a squad player. Whereas if we were to go out there uh, and make such a, a buy, it would be a massive thing for us. Um, looking through some of the comments, there, there's obviously quite a few people who are disappointed, I think. You know, going back to the point you made, asking around the fact that we should have had them lined up. We then go into week one or week two, and it's just about finalising the deal. Yeah. Um, but again, we do have, you know, we do have a situation where we're on a break, We've got the, the Asian Cup coming up and it could well be that there is a, a strategy in place. You would hope that there is a strategy in place. Uh, marquee signings, I'm not that I'm not that fussed about yeah. bringing in a marquee. I think it's for me it's far more important to fill the gaps that are actually screaming at us um at this moment in time. But with injuries and everything else, those situations may change. So and, and the Asian Cup as well. I think that will yeah. be playing into the gaffer's mind. I'm going to bring in some of your comments. David Crimes, Celtic need to sign five quality players over the next two windows. I don't disagree with that. Uh, we need to see some movement in and out this month, and I'm pretty sure we will see uh, quite a few players cutting ties with the club. I mean, that reminded me about James McCarthy. When, when you look at the fact that he's in the top 10 in terms of mm. the most expensive Scottish footballers, and he's obviously come to, to Celtic, but he's one in a long list. I seem, you know, Idiguchi's back in the building. Yeah. He's a player that's not contributing. 
And I think these guys I would describe as non, you know, non-negotiable. They need to be yeah. shipped out. But then you've got question marks over players like David Turnbull, for example, right? So Bernardo comes to the fore and you think, right, he's filled a gap. That's brilliant. Hatati's away. Are we able to to move Turnbull on? Because if you keep him to the end of the season, you're going to lose out on any transfer fee. Mm-hmm. But your squad will be bolstered by having a player like that there. I think that type of player is a wee bit trickier. Yeah, no, I agree because there are there's still scope for Turnbull to contribute. We've seen that with his goals already this season. You know, the one at Ross County where he, he breaks a deadlock. There are other games where, you know, a lot of our players, there's there's still one thing that he's unique in is he, he likes to take a pop outside the box and, and is, is reasonably accurate at that. And there'll be games for, for that. So Turnbull, whilst I think a lot of fans are now not most of them are in agreement that it's not going to probably be work out for him long term now at Celtic. I think his tight his days are numbered, whether that's now in January or in summer. Um, but we have to be again clever with, you know, I don't think we should be um, releasing him unless we maybe got another midfielder coming in as well. Because as you say, you don't want to leave yourself short um, for the for the remainder of the season. Um, I think with with Celtic as well, we tend to do that where we let some go and then we announce signings. I think I remember especially when when Ange came in, that was kind of the way. Like we, Ayer was announced as leaving one day, and then the following day, maybe you've got Starfelt announced and stuff like that. So I don't know again if that's something that maybe Rogers is looking to do is get rid of a few first before we 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 bring anyone in. Um, and also just in general with our signings in the last couple of years, a lot of it just comes up really under the radar where there's not been much chat about it in the, in the mainstream media, and then suddenly it's it's announced out of the blue. So I think we do tend to keep our transfer dealings quite under wraps these days. So, again, it's why I'm not panicking if, if there's not a lot of rumours going about, because I think sometimes that can be the case, and then it's just suddenly pops up and things can escalate within a day or two. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing if that's maybe the case as well. But, yeah, with the likes of Turnbull, um, that is a trickier one. But there's others like of Burnaby, um, Quan, people that are not going to feature whatsoever uh, are, are looking unlikely to feature. I think we need to either get them out on loan or or just terminate the contract and, and try and get rid if we can because the squad numbers is far too much. You've you've mentioned it as well in terms of just the harmony within addressing them. If you've got too many players not playing, not contributing, it's not great. The manager said before he works best with trimmer, uh, smaller squads. So I think this, this window um, with both incomings and outcomings can be really huge for us. I was thinking, uh, I don't know if it was because Tony Mowbray's in the news. He's obviously in the news because he's just got a new job. That doesn't surprise me. He's the type of guy who, at a certain level, will be a decent gaffer uh, for a, a number of teams. I know that he was in for the Ireland post, but obviously he's taken, he's replaced Wayne Rooney um, at Birmingham City. And the reason I'm bringing him up is I remember a kind of similar scenario, I've got to say, where there seemed to be a, a high turnover of players, uh, incomings and outgoings. And it's almost as if you lose your identity in many ways, Asim, you know. And even if you've got like a hardcore in the dressing room, it's going to be hard for them to implement that mentality in all the new new starters, if you like. They're all coming in. I think the difference would be in a scenario where, uh, you know, that Ange found himself in when he first came to the club, where whoever he was was bringing in was going straight into the starting 11. So the disharmony side of things isn't there because they're playing. Um, and I guess it's all about the mentality. He was a strong enough figurehead anyway, Ange, um, to, to make sure that that mentality was drummed into him. But I definitely think it's been an issue, but it's definitely been um, 
addressed, and it's been addressed. It won't have just been addressed by the likes of Brendan Rodgers, but, you know, Callum McGregor. Um, even some people who have only been at the club for a few years but have only known success, people like Matt O'Reilly, I would expect him to implement that and drum that into yeah. to new players. We've had um, quite a few discussions recently around the fact that we're talking about all these guys. None of them are, you know, up-and-coming players. Um, and the discussion we had last week was inevitably around Rocco Vata and his future and, and what's uh, what's in store for him. But over the weekend, I found it really interesting. Um, it probably went under the radar, but we had a young player called uh, Evan Easton who um, signed for Sheffield United. And he was one of these lads who had been playing, you know, for the youth teams, I assume, I think under 18s and, and things like that. So he signs for Sheffield United. And you think to yourself, right, you'll categorise him in amongst all the other Celts that have left, yeah. you know, at a young age and maybe in five years' time they could be playing first-team football. Um, well, he was on the bench for Sheffield United in their FA Cup game. He, he was unused, but I, I seen it on the socials and I just thought to myself, again, it's all about having that pathway to yeah. the first team. Yeah, he has only sat on the bench. It was an unused substitute. But in terms of his experience and the belief that he'll have that he's actually getting somewhere in the team, um, I thought that was an interesting one because at the moment... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We really aren't in a position where it's um, we're going to be comfortable to introduce two or three youngsters this season because we're in a title race. And you think yeah. to yourself, when will be the right time? I see a minute all these young guys could end up kicking their heels or going elsewhere. Yeah, another one I seen yesterday was Karamoko Dembele. He was um, yeah. playing for playing for Blackpool against Tottenham Forest in the FA Cup, and I didn't even know he was there. Um, but there's another one who everyone was was raving about five, four or five years ago. I remember even, um, and when he when he first got his his name, and everyone was talking, this will be the next wonder kid. And again, it just you don't know what the situation is, obviously behind the scenes, but it just seems like there's a disconnect in terms of the pathway and us really getting the best out of these guys or, or giving them an opportunity in the team. I remember he, he came on, I can't remember what season it was, but it might have been that season when Rodgers left and then Lennon um, gave him his, his debut. I think it might have been one of the last games of the season against Hearts at home or something. And he looked really bright. And everyone was thinking, right, okay, this will be this will kickstart and we'll see a lot more of him the following season. And we just didn't. Um, and it's similar with so many of our youngsters, even just as, as recently, you were looking at... Um, the, the left back uh, that we we were looking to see come in for, for Taylor um, and Mitchell frame friend. and yeah yep so you know you're you're right it's it's less likely when things are tight in the league and you know we were in a bit of bad form it's harder to maybe do it but on the same token we spoke about in one of the previous um, podcasts that 
if ever there's a time to to give these guys a chance is when the guy in that position is not playing well. You know, Greg Taylor was off form um, at that point and everyone was saying, give Mitchell Frame a, a go. Um, we have to give these players an opportunity. We have to give them some hope that there is a pathway there because if, if so many of them are seeing that, then we can't blame. You know, I know there was, again, a lot of controversy over Doak when he left and a lot of people had different views of who they thought was at fault in, in that sense. But we, we have to be shown to be giving players the opportunity for them to to really see a future um, with Celtic. Whereas I think in the last few years, I can't remember the last time really, before maybe, obviously Ralston, you know, eventually kind of made his name and, and got into the starting lineup. But before that, we're looking at like Satirney. So yeah, I think it's something we can definitely do better um, in, in terms of utilising our own. Uh, but we'll see we'll see how that goes going forward. Uh, but I was interested in seeing that yesterday when I seen Dembele just to see how his, I don't even know what age he's at, he's at now. Because I remember it was about 15, 16 when, when he was, you know, everyone was talking scary. about him, so. It was scary. Uh, you know, breaking through as a 13-year-old <clears throat> um, to play basically what was second-tier football and then making his senior debut at 16. Uh, the tug of war between Scotland and England and then yeah. the career kind of goes a wee bit to the, the wayside in many, many ways. But yes, uh, it was interesting to see both of those guys um, in FA Cup action. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about Asim is um, that the interesting, although not surprising, start around Celtic's attendance and the fact that we are in a table of the, the you know, globally, the the most attended football stadiums and Celtic Park is up there at number 15, um, averaging 50,000 plus, which really, when you consider the uh, the Scottish game, um, where we are with regards to the, the food chain, it's astonishing that we're still able to to pull in that level. But what you would see um, if you look over the last 10 years is that our average attendance has more or less plateaued, you know. Um, and it brings up, it always brings up, every time I see these types of lists and you're looking at the top 10 and, and Celtic are sitting at 15th, you think we're punching above our weight here. Um, I always think to myself, why not stick another 10,000 on that stadium? <laughs> why not push it, you know? Yeah. Because when Fergus came in, we had no right to, to be building a 60,000-seater stadium. And I think most of the people around about Fergus were saying, you know, 40,000s maybe a wee bit more realistic here when you looked at the attendances, the average attendances. Bearing in mind we were going to be gearing everything towards season tickets. And Fergus had the foresight to say, at that time, I think your average attendances were about 28,000, 30,000. Yeah. I'm building a I'm building a 60,000-seater stadium. And he did it. And look at where we are. And I think there comes a point, or or does there, where we, we say, right, let's have a look at this main stand. Let's see if yeah. we can level the stadium off and and really increase this. And I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is because it probably is an argument and a dilemma rather than a given because the first question would be, would we, able to, would we be able to increase our average attendance? Where we are in Scottish football, I get that there's two big games against Rangers. There might be a big cup game um, uh, domestically and then you've got three, maybe a few more next season uh, Champions League games at home. There could be you know, the league clincher, for example, flag day, that kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know, et cetera, whereby there's one or two other fixtures. But there's a handful of fixtures, yeah. really, half a dozen, maybe to 10, where you could have a full house. Is it something, do you think, the club would consider or are we just going to go season on season on season? Because we've seen the financial advantage you get by having 10,000 more seats every season, you know, in, in relation to your yeah. nearest challengers. 
yeah, for, firstly, just like you say, from an aesthetics point of view, you know how good it would look, that main stand, that if it was just fully rounded off, um, I think it would just give an extra edge to to all the work that we've already done. You, you just look at the development around Celtic Park over the last decade or so with the Celtic Way. It just looks such a nicer place. It's um, it's a better match day experience in that sense as well. Um, so I think it would look a lot better. As you mentioned, the demand to to fill it out. Like I know there's obviously there's a wait list for season tickets at the moment um, and has been for a few years now. So you know that would suggest yes, we could fill out more and we could definitely take in more season tickets in terms of actually match day. Sellouts again. A lot of the time, the, the games are sold out. Whether whether every seat in the house is taken or not is a different matter. But definitely, for a handful of games, we know for a fact that you know we'd be able to to manage a an extra ten thousand easy. Um, the run of the mill domestic games, maybe not. But I, I think it's something that the, the club. I know they did a few surveys a couple of years ago in terms of things that they were looking for for feedback from fans. Whether it's just you know a tick box exercise or such things that they would actually take on board as to improvements that can be made to the match the experience and just the, the stadium overall. But I, I definitely think there's there's scope for it. I think it would, as you said, from a financial point of view, it makes sense. Even if you're not filling it every single week, um, I think we'd be there or thereabouts. And even if you just look at the landscape of football and, and where it's heading, there's a lot of change coming in terms of the, the European landscape, as we've seen just in the last couple of weeks. We don't know where football is going to be in the next five, six years. Um, uh, you know, you'd like to think we're going to be part of any big changes. Some people may disagree, but you know, Celtic are a big, big club in in terms of the the European landscape. So for me, I think yeah, another ten thousand seats to seats to add to Celtic Park, um, but take us up to seventy would be brilliant. Um, but again, I guess that's one for the kind of number crunches to work out whether it's financially um, beneficial long term. I remember, <clears throat> I remember discussing this. Because, as you say, that they've obviously done their feasibility studies and they've engaged yeah. with the fan base, etc. <clears throat> By the way, incidentally, anybody who hasn't seen it, Barcelona are the top supported in terms of average attendance with 83,000 plus. Uh, Borussia Dortmund comes second, 81. Bayern Munich are third with 75. Man U have got 73. Then it's Inter Milan, AC Milan, West Ham, Roma, Spurs, Real Madrid, Schalke, Arsenal, Marseille, Benfica and then Celtic. So um, massive, actually yeah. massive kind of jump from 58, obviously, to 83. But <clears throat> give us 75. I think that will be a, a cosy number. <laughs> Celtic part. Um, but when they're looking at the feasibility of that as well, um, I remember someone saying to me that it would take something like, if it was on gate receipts only, I see yeah. it would take, or match day revenue it was, because you've got your average revenue per punter once they're in the, in the, in the stadium. I think it was 17 years it would take to pay it back. Um, and obviously it'd be a massive, it, it would be a massive uh, commitment financially. Yeah. And if things aren't going so well in the park, you need a centre forward. People would say, why did you do that? Just like the disco yeah. likes, why did you invest there where we could have been investing in players? So I totally get it. But it's just where every time I see that, I think to myself, we could actually push the envelope here. And obviously it brought Alan Shearer into the discussion talking about Celtic joining again, the English Premiership. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I'm at a stage now where I think if it was going to happen, that would have happened before now. Um, and I always go back to the Wimbledon story where Celtic uh, looked into buying Wimbledon Football Club when they were up for sale with the view to changing their name and their address, their strips, their crest, 
and becoming Celtic in the Premiership. That would have been an interesting one back yeah. in the day. I, th- I think as long as we're playing in the, the Scottish League, it's something that it might I, I don't see potentially happening. Um, but like I've said earlier, we just don't know what the state of the, the European football will be, whether it's Atlantic Leagues or Super Leagues or anything, and we don't know where Celtic will fall into all that. So it could be something down the line that if it became more attractive to to others, you know, and became more of a, a, a kind of a popular... For, for people who maybe wouldn't watch Scottish football as much now down the line, it's, it could be something. But um, if you look at most match days right now, I don't think, you know, we're not getting absolute sellouts as it is. So to add another 10, I don't know if that's if it would work. You're right. It's a Scottish game, isn't it? Once, if and when that happens, um, and, you know, it might happen in my lifetime. So hopefully within the next 15 years or so. Um, if not, it's not going to happen. As you say, we won't be making that investment. Baldy Trucker, we're talking transfers. No news is good news. I tend to agree with you there. I've got to say, I do tend to agree with that. Um, and I think that, you know, the big discussion points here so far, obviously, is um, would Celtic increase their capacity at the stadium? Would it be a good idea? And are you concerned that we haven't signed anyone yet? Eight days into the transfer window. Normally we do it a couple of days before the window even opens. Brian Lennon, great to listen in live, which is rare. Normally it's on YouTube in the car on my way home from site. Passes the time and great content. Keep up the good work. Brian, thank you very much for tuning in because uh, we're now sitting at 25,000 subs on the, the YouTube. If you're not subscribing at the moment, then make sure you do it. It's free. And as well as daily content like the Axon Bulletin, which is a discussion between Celtic fans um, and a whole host of Celtic fans. I've got to say there's about 20 of us on the, on the Axon contributor list. We also create content uh, which is fully produced, such as interviews, etc. We've got one with Yuan Mialbi coming up from our night just the other the other week there, just before Christmas. So that will be on the channel soon. And loads more to come in 2024. Now, the Urban Culture I'm going to bring you up here. And uh, you are a regular contributor also. I don't have high hopes. Obviously, no one was lined up or spoken to in recent months or they would be signed up. Um, Asim, I brought up last week the fact that uh, Brendan Rodgers was talking about Declan Rice and um, when I fired it out on the socials and asked who was the players that almost signed for us that you would have loved to have seen in the hoops, there were some tremendous suggestions. Um, What about yourself? Who who were the guys that nearly, nearly signed for us but never quite made it? Obviously, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing afterwards. I remember Olivier Giroud was, was really yeah. touted a few years back. Um, I think he was, I can't remember where he was at, um, Troy maybe or something like that. And then he went to, was it Montpellier? Montpellier, um, yeah. Yep. And yeah, I just remember we were really closely linked with him. And this was obviously, before, he, had, he had a kind of really decent breakthrough season. Um, and I think by all intents and purposes, we did everything we could. I think it was more from... From his side, um, that he, he chose to to do another year in France, and obviously the rest is history. Um, more recently, Ivan Tony, he was another one that I just really liked the look of when I watched his kind of, you know, again, I'm sure at that point I think he was at was it Peterborough. Um, so again, it's 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 just a it's one of those you have to sometimes take the punt at that point, you know, before they before they become out of reach. Um, you know, John McGinn's another one. They were the kind of three more recent ones where really you see them grow and how much they've they've gone on to do afterwards, and you're just like that's that's us. So that one's probably the slowest one because it's it's a Celtic fan playing in your own league. It was for what two two three million. You just you just felt that it was a tailor made for me. I always used to think he's the perfect replacement for Scott Brown. Yes, and I just thought you know what he would have been ideal. 
Um, I get accused by a lot of people, like um, even just within my friends group, of like you mentioned that snobbery where I don't often rate a lot of players in our own league. And um, it's, it's, but with certain players, you can just tell that their quality, and you can tell they're tailor made for for your club. And I just thought John McGinn was a perfect fit. So he's probably the one that universally, I think, a lot of Celtic fans are are really frustrated at because that was our own doing. Um, the Ivan Tony one, another one. We obviously went for a Yeti. Um, instead, and that <laughs> we all know how that one turned out. So you get some, um, but even going way further back, and I remember we used to give trials. I don't know if you spoke about it last week, but like the Della Pena and Danny and um, Rivaldo, I think it was. <laughs> we used to give trials to, but um, they were obviously at different stages in their career. Um, I'll try and think of a few others, but they're the kind of main ones that spring to mind. Oh, Rivaldo, Martin O'Neill told them to come in for yeah. trial. Brilliant. And, you know, when I dig about the old uh, newspaper archives, some of the names that spring up are quite interesting in that respect. Obviously, you've got the Ginola one, which I was a, been a massive fan of. Uh, Gianluca Vialli, uh, his agent was desperate for him to come to Celtic when Vim Janssen took over. Um, but I think we did okay because Janssen had um, Henrik lined up. So <laughs> we, we didn't miss him. Worked out not didn't too bad. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here... Uh, crying into my, my tea about McGinn again but I do remember I, I just felt it was written in the stars that he was going to sign yeah. for Celtic and uh, I remember being at Celtic Park Celtic were playing St Mirren we only beat them 1-0 and if memory serves me correctly it was a Stefan Johansson back post header that won the game for us and uh, a young a very young 17 year old John McGinn ran the game and the only reason I was kind of, I would have noticed him, but the only reason I was really paying attention to him is I was actually introduced to Jack McGinn before the game, former chairman of Celtic, set up the Celtic view, and he says, keep an eye on whatever his number was. You know, he's he's some player. Yeah. And when I walked away, the, my pal who I was with said, that's only because it's his grandson. And yeah. I did, I paid attention to him, and I thought, what a talent. No surprise he went to Hibs, no surprise he's went on to do what he's done. So, Aye, there's, there's there's regrets, and I hope we don't have any um, by the end of this month. Smell the glove comes in. Hail, hail, we'll get a couple of loans on the last day, same old rubbish. Listen, if one of them's Jota, you'll not be saying that, right? <laughs> if one of them is Jota, mind you, he's on a freebie. Um, I don't know what his uh, wages are going to be these days. Ian Roy, signings should have been in by now. Brennan Rogers has had months to scout them. Um, I'm, st- I'm still pretty calm about it, I seem. I know what people are saying on the other side of this argument. But I just think, well, we can be so keen to get these these uh, deals over the line that we don't sign the right player. I mean, I was told the scenario of a Yeti Tony, you know, and if you were to put it on through a, a data system that a professional football club would use, you and I sitting here as fans, as observers, to the untrained eye, every single one of us in the, the comment section would all have signed Tony. Yeah. Somehow, I don't know why, Some there's some reason for it. Celt, maybe the price, I don't know. Celtic decided to sign Ayeti. It was so clear, clear as day. But what I don't want is I don't want knee-jerk. I, I think that we were too hasty and, and it was a wee bit of a shooting fish in a barrel in the summer, just bringing in player after player after player. It's no worked. It's no worked. And I think there has been an emergence of Bernardo that I certainly didn't yeah. see coming. There might be this, you know, similar if we can keep him fit with Novroski. And then you're looking at that summer transfer window thinking, all right, we've got three or four out of it. Uh, a couple for the future, perhaps. It can't be like that. Every single body that comes in this building, I think, have to be tailor-made to improve the starting eleven. 
Yeah, I think these these the ones anyone that we're going to bring in now is going to be of a certain profile. I think you know, and it might just be two or three, um, but I think they'll all be reasonably experienced. I don't think we're going to see any more project or development type signings in this window, and and I think that's right. I think there's always a room for those. You know, in the summer windows, I think there should always be a balance, and that's where we just got it completely wrong. We went we went all in in the other way and just signed all players of of potential um, rather than experience. So I think there'll be other way around this time. I think if it is loan signings, it'll be experienced ones or if, even if it's it's main signings. Um, and that has to be the case because there's there's just a clear imbalance in that sense. Also, I've, I've seen the kind of narrative of the likes of um, Abada and Hatati coming back being like new signings. I think Rogers said as much. And as much as it, I know it's like, it's a cliche, but I don't like that. You know, I don't like that being now, I don't want that narrative that, oh, we've got these two back and that's like new signings because I don't want that to, you know, cloud any the fact that we still need, because these two guys were there at the start of the season. We still, even at that point, stead, we require strengthening and we require extra quality. So just because they're now returning after a lengthy layoff, I hope that's not, you know, trying to be pushed down the narrative that, oh, we're okay now. You know, we've got these two players coming back in. We've suddenly got Bernardo and Naroki, uh, Navrochki coming back into the fold that, oh, things aren't as as bad as it seemed. Yes, we've had a good wee run there with the four victories. Yes, it's encouraging that we're seeing these players come to the fold and we've got the, the injuries coming back. But it doesn't change the fact that we all knew even before, you know, when the, the summer window ended, that we still felt short in certain areas. And it's those very areas that are, have been troubling for us again. So uh, there's no excuses as much as I'm not panicking yet. Um, if, if things aren't done in the next couple of weeks, you know, the mood will change again. And this is a great chance for the club to use uh, the feel-good factor of the last couple of weeks, the derby win, the fact that things started looking on the up again. Let's keep that momentum going. Let's let's start getting active. Let's get a signing announced in the next week. Um, something that will get everyone excited again because football is all about momentum and psychology and, and that comes into it massively. So you want to keep that going. You want to get players bedded in um, and we want to hit the ground running. And Rodgers notoriously has been good for that in his three, uh, three seasons previously. We always came out the, the winter break pretty strong. So I, I'm hoping that's, that's going to be the same again. Um, but I do feel two or three... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Signs of real signings of real quality can can make a massive difference to to what we've already discussed is a pretty good nucleus. Um, it just needs some some added assistance around about you know the players that we've talked about. Absolutely, yeah, and we'll be talking about where we're going to prioritise as well. Let us know if it is three. I seem to being very optimistic here. If it is three, we bring in 
Where do we strengthen? That's the question. Let us know in the I comments. I think we'll see three. I think we'll see three, at least. I would be delighted with that. I've got to say, I would be delighted. William O'Toole, is it more important to lose the non-contributing players or make some signings? I think we've got to strike a balance this time round. We've found ourselves in a position whereby we do have far too many non-contributing players, no doubt about it. There's some of them that I'm quite happy to have in the squad who I see as, as for the future, I think. Home is one of those guys. And I also think Yang, to um, a lesser degree, is, is one of those players. He's been thrown in a fair bit, uh, but I don't actually think he's ready for the first team. That type of player, I'd be happy to either have in the, uh, in the squad yeah. or if there's an appropriate loan deal, then get them out and get them game time. Uh, but yeah, we need to cut it because at the moment, now that Idiguchi's back and Nat Phillips is away, I think we're at 32. 32 is a first-team squad, which is huge, far too big. Um, I want to take a wee diversion for a second here. If Joey Barton is watching this section of the podcast, please switch off, because we're going to be talking about the Celtic FC women. And um, again, another 7 nothing win in the Scottish Cup against Air United. Got to absolutely um, disclose here that until the pandemic, I probably didn't have much of a an investment in the Celtic women's team. I had read about them in the Celtic View, etc., but I didn't really cover the games and and even know the, the players, to be fair. Uh, got into it during the pandemic, kept that up, covered quite a few games on here. We've been doing the press conferences and we were a patron for a year um, as well. And quite recently, we secured a, what I can only say was an excellent interview by Jerry Taylor uh, um, speaking to Fran Alonso. And what came across during that was uh, a guy who had bags of charisma. Um, I'm talking about Fran. No, sorry, Jerry. I, I know that you do as well. He's going to be in the comments now, Jerry. <laughs> Fran Alonso, bags of like charisma, personality, and he had a real vision, like a proper vision about where he was taking his team. And of course, he's left. Ask him. And you know, David Haley's in his place at the moment as an interim option. But there's a feeling as though I know a 7 nothing win wins not to be sniffed at. There just seems a feeling that there's been quite a lot lost yeah. with the departure of Fran. Do you think that might affect the interest levels as well? Because he really did get people to buy into this, didn't he? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a great character. Um, he, he just comes across really infectious. He, he really resonated with a lot of the fans. I remember some of the scenes of, of when they were celebrating towards the end of last season, one of the cup victories. And, you know, I think everyone just really liked him. It looked like the squad really liked him. Um, I think I, uh, this has maybe been coming. Um, I don't know too much about it, but I remember in, in the pre-season, um, I think Natasha from, from the Axon uh, mentioned that we had lost quite a lot of players. There was a lot of um, transfers going out the way. And it just seemed, again, from a position of strength where we could have... Uh, really backed the team and, and kind of gone because we obviously narrowly missed out on the title in the last minutes of, or last seconds of the last days but it looked like the, the nucleus was there again of a good squad um, a manager that was settled and you know happy and, and rather than strengthen from there it looked like we lost a lot of players um, and that might be a contributing factor as to why Fran probably thought he's he's done as much as he can he's taken them as far as he can and, and that's why he's, he's, he's taken the move but yeah, there was there was a lot of interest. Um, I remember some of the scenes that when the wasn't the trial the what's the Celtic Wall was trialed for one of the fixtures as well, wasn't yeah, it? And yeah. you see how much of a success that was. So there's definitely there was a, a growing interest there, and you just don't want to you don't you you hope that this is not maybe going to lose that momentum again now. Just with the departure of Fran and um, 
a lot of the players that had left. So, yeah, it's one to to see where it goes from here. But it just seemed like the momentum was growing. So, um, it is, it is a big loss for for the team and for the club. Yeah, and the club were pushing it, of course. Um, you know, getting people in the ground, playing some of the games at home. My suggestion was always, if you're a season ticket holder, maybe you should be also allowed to go and watch uh, the women's team just to get you introduced to it. I seem not to um, say that it's lesser importance, just to get you in the ground, get used yeah. to it, see that it's more of a, a kind of family uh, get-together yeah, right. in terms of uh, the atmosphere at the games. And I, I felt that it was all moving in the right direction, but there had to be, there definitely had to be an increase in the budget. Um, something that Fran uh, touched on the interview incidentally is on the YouTube channel go and check it out he speaks to Jerry Taylor uh, about his entire career Um, and that was just uh, probably a couple of months before he left so quite a good insight from Fran Alonso and we wait with bated breath to see what uh, the next move is for Celtic women's team who they're going to replace him with I want to bring this up right because yeah we've had a bit of fun over the last couple of weeks since the 30th and that's football, Asim. That's what it's all about. You've you've got to stick the boot into your your rivals. Of course, <laughs> you do. I mean, what kind of football fans would we be if we didn't? Um, but the the kind of the aftermath of that, uh, now that we're able to actually look at it, is it's kind of going back to bite them in the backside. I think because right, I think we're all for SFA reform. I've been speaking about it for years on. Yeah. Axon. We've had various ideas and concepts about, you know, what would work better in this this game in Scottish football that we've got in our hands that is so popular. You know, there was the recent table again came out talking about the attendances in Scottish football in comparison with other yeah. European nations, and we're always up there. You know, listen, a massive part of that is the fact that there's a game of football every week that's going to be attracting fifty or sixty thousand, sometimes yeah. two games every single week. But what's then happened is um, I find it interesting that we were called internet bam pots not that long ago. Anybody that that kind of made that transi- transition from the world of fanzines into podcasting and all that, internet bam pots, uh, no credibility. This, this is what we were labelled kind of thing. But what I found interesting is that there seems to have been a change in attitudes in the way that this is now being reported. Um, and in the mainstream now, people are talking about SFA reform, the fact that there's a lack of transparency. And it's all really kicked off again since the game against Rangers, yeah. whereby they've been unhappy with the penalty, that never was a penalty, um, and they've pushed it so far. So we've gone from an issue with the process. Right, OK, they've got an issue with the process. I think we would all agree that there is an issue with the VAR process, Right. But it's the way they've gone about it, Asim. And I think that the masterstroke in all of this is uh, James Dornan, the, the MSP, who has submitted to uh, Holyrood the, uh, the, the, the motion calling for SFA reform. And I think when I look at that and I looked at the instant reaction online, a lot of people misunderstood what he was doing. And then it took quite a few people to actually then explain this is actually a bit of a masterstroke. Um, I don't know how far this is this is going to go, but they've shot themselves in the foot here, I seem, because if there had been any sympathy for them, I think that has dissipated through the demands for VAR audio and the demands for Willie Collum not to referee or officiate a game involving Rangers. But it's gone higher than just Scottish football authorities now, or it may well go higher than that. And to be quite honest, if they do get 
reform then we'll all be delighted because I, yeah. I don't think they're fit for purpose anyway. I don't think that our officials are. I don't think the implementation of VAR has been good enough. So if all of these things need to be uh, looked at and completely torn up and, and restructured, then I'm all for it. And so the funny thing is it's stuff that we've been calling for for years. You know, we've, we've been saying this for decades now that the, the incompetence or, you know, blatant cheating at some points is, is there for all to see. But we were called paranoid. We were, we were uh, you know, accused of paranoia and just basically, you know, not taking... The like, thing is, we complain sometimes, even when we've won games, that that's the best time to actually raise issues with referees, you know, because it, it sounds like you're bitter if you've just lost a game and then... But we've had instances for so long where we could point to issues of incompetency or just like you say, blatant cheating, things like that, and um, we were just... It was brushed under the carpet, and now we've got one instance, or not any time this happens with them, any time that they're on the receiving end of... Well, like this in this instance, it's not even a wrong decision. That's the most baffling and hysterical thing about all this. You know, they're they're complaining about a decision that was ultimately correct, yet they've they've gone gung ho with this. Um, so I, I it's, at first it was funny to be honest. I was I was loving the meltdown, but it just got boring towards the end because it's just you know you can't reason with people without logic, um, and that's what it appeared like. Any discussions I had with. With people, it was just they were just not getting the actual point. They were refusing to even address it. It was just a case of nah, everyone's against us. And but as you said, we've if if there does lead to a reform, if it does lead to actually addressing the the issues that we've said for years, then that's that's good news for us. Um, that you know, I remember when VAR came in, I thought that would have been good for us as well. But it turns out it's not been because you thought right, okay, this will minimize the human error or error that we perceive to be error uh, a lot of the times but if you know all you're doing is putting it in the hands of someone else to make those so same incorrect decisions um i was watching some of the fa cup games there without bar and i just thought it was a, it was a breath of fresh air watching games without bar again um but i think it's here to stay so i don't think that's going to change but yeah if there's if we're going to look at making drastic changes again and, and addressing these issues then yeah i'm all for that as well yeah, and, and it goes back to what we're talking about. This is a, a game here that is definitely punching above its weight. And the, the massive reason for it is because there's two hugely supported football clubs in Scotland. Um, and we've got a product and the authorities don't know what to do with it. They're certainly not fit for purpose to manage the product that they've got. They, they never managed to market it properly. No. Um, we went seasons without sponsors for some of our main trophies. I mean, that's unthinkable. You imagine any business on the planet where that was your job and you failed to get a sponsor. You wouldn't be in a job, right? And, you know, when it when it comes to marketing the game for broadcasting deals, etc., we're always, always taking the crumbs from the table. And I think that that's one aspect of it. The way that the game is officiated is huge. The way um, that the, the Blazers are so out of touch is massive as well. And I do think that there needs change. And every single time there appears to be a forward-thinking um, individual in Scottish football, it's not as though they ever get promoted to top positions. You know, these ones that are actually creative and diverse in thought, they go nowhere in Scotland because, yeah. you know, they'll need to get a job somewhere else because we don't it's, embrace that, I seem, do we? 
No, it's one of my biggest bugbears with Scottish football. You know, like we can all sit and bemoan the quality of football at times. You know, I watched the, I watched the Edinburgh derby um, last week, and it was one of the first televised uh, televised Edinburgh derbies in quite a while, and everyone was complaining that obviously it doesn't get shown. And then I remember watching it, and the quality was pretty poor. But still, it's a spectacle. It's still one of the games where even if you're not a fan of Scottish football, or if you are and you don't normally watch other teams, it's a fixture you'd watch for the atmosphere for the occasion. Um, you know, it's it's still entertaining as such, and it's just so many things from top to bottom that we don't do to promote our own game. You know, whether it's the astro pitches, whether it's um, clubs cutting down away allocations. You look at, you know, Tynecastle used to be a, a great fixture to go, and you've got the full, the you know, the full stand behind the goals. It was it was an occasion. Now you watch it, and again, it just it's been taken away. You look at obviously what's happened with the derby fixture again um, through the actions of other clubs. Um, it's just the, the televised games, the camera angles, there's just so many things which we can really be doing. And as as you mentioned, we've still got one of the best supported leagues, you know, if you look at it proportionately. Again, a lot of that is down to obviously the two Glasgow clubs, but still, the Scottish football has a lot going for it. It's raw, it's, you know, it, it can be entertaining, It's it's got passionate fans. Um, there's, there's so much there that we can do to try and promote our game, yet whether it's pundits, whether it's media, whether it's the club owners, whether it's fans, we, we seem to try and belittle it as much as we can or do things which take away the what makes it so good. And it's just really frustrating because I, I do feel that someone forward thinking, someone with, with bright ideas could really, really market the game so much better and bring in more money, bring in more audience and, and really take the game forward. But it just seems like we've got the same guys that have been running the game for, for decades now that are not willing to change um, and not willing to to do things that can better the, the the image of the game up here, which genuinely I think it's got a lot to offer if if marketed and, and things were done correctly. There's a train of thought that um, in a, a spectacle involving a, a big Scottish club, there should be no empty seats in the stadium. And uh, I think it was Barry Hearn who looked at Scottish football and said that we were just lazy. We were absolutely complacent when it came to, right, okay, Look at, for example, I'm going to I'm going to use our own club, and exact, and I'm not having a dig because I don't know how many tickets are sold, right? Bucky Thistle. So when that that draw is made, okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You as a football club have to have a, a marketing strategy because that game's not going to sell out itself, right? How do you get bums on seats for that game? All I've seen is a couple of emails that have come in, yeah. obviously sent out to the season ticket holders, and a few social media posts. That's not going to sell a game out, I see, right? And I think that, that there needs to be a completely different approach. I, I suggested a few years ago 
that when you look at the amount of senior clubs in Scotland and the amount of stadiums with facilities that we have in Scotland, every single one of them should open up for the community at Christmas, for the yeah. homeless, for the vulnerable, for those who are underprivileged to go in for a hot meal, a shower, etc. And it was brilliant to see that quite a few clubs have actually started doing it. Um, I know Celtic opened their doors on Christmas Day, Hibs do it. Um, but my point was, if you look at the stadiums all around the country, it, there's going to be a stadium, you know, or, or a few stadiums in every region that could actually, you know, appeal yeah. to the community. And that kind of thing as well is is dead important. But yeah, it's diversity of thought and, and creativity and ideas, and we don't see enough of it. Odd Bob, Defo, SFA reform needed for our game, sell the game better. I totally agree with that. We've got Brown Warrior coming in as well. Get rid of the Blazers and replace them with younger men and women who have a real desire to move our game forward. In a positive I know manner. another discussion that's kind of been doing the rounds for years, which is obviously expanding the league. I don't know your thoughts on it, but it's something that I've always been in favour of. I just think, yeah, yeah, the more we've got, we've got far too many clubs in the Scottish system as it is, right? And but then that's that's where we're at um, for for the population. But there are some big clubs, you know, likes of Falkirk, Dunfermline, Dundee United, not currently playing in the top flight. Um, I think we've got enough there to expand the league to maybe sixteen. Come up with some creative ideas. Um, you know, it then gets away the monotony of playing the same teams three and four times a season. It gives a bit more freedom to teams that are maybe, you know, really uh, scared of relegation and the damage that can do. If you've got more, more spaces, more games, and um, more clubs, I just think it could then promote maybe more um, players, use, clubs using younger players, things like that. There's a number of pros that can. Can come with that, um, and again, it's just something I've thought for years that we could have we could have looked to have done. But it's, again, it's just never came to the table. I don't know your thoughts on that, but I think it would be encouraging. Uh, again, bring anybody outside of Scottish football in to look at the game, and that that's one of the first things they would try and do. I think top two leagues expanded and all the other leagues regionalised. Once it gets beyond the top two leagues, clubs struggle financially. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. talking even for travel and all this kind of stuff. So you, you make the divisions below that uh, regionalised, and then obviously a playoff system to get into the, the what would be the second tier. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. There, there's always that argument around. Oh, but you know, broadcasters four want matches. four games. Yeah, the, there are ways round that as yeah. well. I mean, the chances are we're going to meet them in a cup, right? Yeah, if exactly. you look yeah. at the average over the last however many years, and they could even. They could even do some kind of thing similar to the English game. You know how they do the charity shield before the season, mm-hmm. well, or maybe at the end of the season where you you know you're guaranteed that you're going to get Celtic versus Rangers, aren't you? Because we win everything, well, and I, or, yeah. or you're second and everything. So th- there's ways around it. Whether or not we're open to these ideas is what my main concern is now. You and Boy Martin reckons that there's going to be a high-profile loan signing this month, possibly a winger. Um, it's interesting how we brought three wingers in and there's going to be three wingers away to the Asian Cup as well. And all of a sudden, you're looking at wingers. Never thought for a moment we would need a winger. Um, but what, the What's your number one priority position? Striker. Yeah. It's a striker for me and it's a left back. And that's me convincing myself, Asim, that we're going to bring in two. If we get three, and I'm going to come back to the goalkeeper in a minute because Brendan's already spoken about goalies. Yeah. And it seems, if you want to read between the lines, it seems as though that's not going to be a priority in January and that's maybe been pushed, kicked into the long grass for summer. I don't mind that. I don't mind that personally. I think out of the positions, goalkeeper would have been one that I would have said in summer if we were going to really do it, like last summer. 
Um, but at this stage, I think Joe Hart will do fine from now until until the summer. And then we should we can look properly, even or we can start looking now. But I don't think it's the most urgent pressing matter. Um, yeah, for me, three. And if it was a three, it would be left back, winger, and then probably centre forward. Yeah, striker at the moment, just because we're in a Kyogo injury away from being a bit of bother there. I know we've got Maeda and Abada who could potentially go into that role. But again, how? Am I totally confident with them as options going into crucial games as as a striker? Ideally not. You'd want a centre forward. So obviously we've got all, but he's he'll be away for a few games. Um, and I just think yeah, we need to get the ball rolling in terms of um, the key areas that we've we've addressed left back. And I also still think we're we're still requiring that really athletic, powerful uh, defensive midfielder um, position. But We've got quite a few midfielder options now as well. So, again, I don't know if that will be priority just now. Um, but it's, it's interesting because we've not really been... I think the main one that we've been linked with recently is a centre-back, McKenna. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's you know, we've not even been linked with a lot of strikers or anything. We've, we had the left-back from Portugal we were linked with, Araujo. So, yeah, it will, it will be interesting to see what kind of names um, we hear in the next few days. Yeah, I know. I don't disagree with any of that, to be honest. And it's now just a case of then prioritising. And I think pushing a goalkeeper into the uh, the summer window, we could we could make do with Joe Hart. The, the big issue, it's like what you said there uh, with, with Kyogo, the big issue is if they get an injury. Now, Joe Hart has been fairly injury-free since he came to Celtic, but you never know. Uh, the issue with Kyogo was addressed by Brendan Rodgers with his shoulder injury. He says that at some point he will require surgery, but it's not imminent. If it had been, he would have had the surgery. Um, so, you know, people have been asking about his his, his injury, um, but we have seen it. I mean, even this season. Was it against Dundee at home where it's popped out and he's gone off? off yeah, yeah, the 3-0 game. He's, yeah. he's came off to get it popped back in. So we know that, that that is a priority. And we wait with bated breath. Is it all about timing? Who knows? No signings yet, says Thomas Burns. Should we be worried? Well, as the tagline says, no, don't worry about it. It's all about timing um, because, you know, there's going to be a lot of players offered to Celtic. This is the thing. There's going to be a huge amount of players offered to Celtic from agents and it'll be a case of cutting through um, all the madness, as I've said there, the transfer window madness, to find the nuggets, to find the diamonds in the rough. Um, John Sweeney, you're in the comments again. Good to see you. Striker and a left back are a must and another right winger. I think when we buy wingers, we tend to buy them and they can switch. But if you're yeah. asking me who your strongest two are at the moment, I don't think it's an immediate answer I'm going to give you. No. Because what you've got is you've got the inconsistency, I think, of Palmer. People might say he's not inconsistent. I, I think he is. He can go missing. Yeah. Um, in-game, you've got a badder who's barely played this season. So we're basically, you know, we're basing that on his, his stats of the previous two years. Maeda, I like Maeda, by the way, um, but I don't think he's he's had his vintage season this campaign. Um, and then the guys below that, I think there's a drop in quality once you come to Yang, Forrest and Johnson. So I think we can accommodate another winger, yeah. but it would probably uh, result, for me, it would probably result in one of the guys I've just mentioned leaving, i.e. Mikey Johnson, and maybe even Yang going out and loan because... Tellio as well. There's been chat of Tellio. Uh, Tellio. So far off the radar, I forgot to mention him. <laughs> maybe he's the guy that needs to go out and loan. Uh, Marco Tellio, no disrespect to him. I know Jared's a big fan. He's seen a lot more of him than I have, but it's just not got going for him. So guys like that and Quan who are not going to play, get them loaned out before they 
the show is up today, though, I see him. It's a Monday. I want to talk about Liam Scales. So for the next couple of minutes, Liam Scales is <sighs> in contract talks with the club. Um, and I never thought six months ago I'd be sitting here saying this because I just, you know, I, I took it for granted he was on his way. And, and in many ways, his forum has affected the beginning of Navrotsky's Celtic career, as has injury, of course. But it's been the, the re-emergency of Liam Scales that's taken us by surprise, I guess, except for James French, who's seen it coming, um, that has prevented the probably even the game time in that Phillips, who went away back down, completely off the radar, no announcement, away back down to Liverpool. Liam Scales has been brilliant this season, and I think he deserves a new contract. That's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I, I was a, a latecomer to the, the Liam Scales um, fan club. <laughs> I seen James mention it the other day. He's obviously called it right from the off, and... In fair play, because there's probably not many others. Um, and look, that's the beauty of it all. Everyone gets a, a fair shot at it. You know, we, I know sometimes fans, we, we as fans, can be guilty of being knee jerk if someone doesn't hit the ground running. But you like to think we all we all back our players. And obviously, with scales, it did look like he was he was further off. Um, I remember I was I was abroad for the the, the Rangers Celtic game, the one 0 um, earlier in the season when he was. He was put in for that game and I like probably many others were just like we're we're going to struggle here big time with that centre back pairing. Um, and he's just gone from strength to strength since then. And that just shows you like it's it's a it's very much all about mentality and attitude because we've had a number of players in that team who've who've been given quite a few opportunities and just haven't taken it. And here you've got a guy who's who's kept his feet on the ground. He's, he's you know, even just watching his interviews, he comes across really well, he comes across really grounded, like he's just taken each game by game. But you know it's not been plain sailing. There's been there's been difficult games in there. He's been part of a team that obviously lost six 0 at Atletico and and some other defeats as well. But he's somebody who can hold his head up high. That in every game he's he's performed to a standard in, in big games where others around him haven't. Um, and he's he's really took his chance to the to the extent where Brendan Rodgers. What what was it he said that he said a quote about him a few weeks back that it's one of the biggest transformations he's seen or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact words. Um, but it's it's a testament to Liam Scales and a, his personality and his ability, which, like you said, I and a lot of other fans probably didn't think he had these levels to go to. Whether he can now push on from that is is the test to him now. Whether he can maintain and then push on because now he's obviously going to have competition with Navrotsky coming in as well. Um, but what what I found most encouraging about him is when we've had in the absence of CCB, usually is when things crumble. But Scales has almost taken on that leadership role where he's had to partner so many other different centre-backs, but he's been the one constant and he's been the one, you know, consistent performer in that back line all season. Um, obviously, CCD's been injured a lot. But, um, yeah, I, I can't be higher in my praise for what he's done. Um, but, obviously, the, the test is whether he can push on to that because, you know, without trying to not be negative at all, I think he's been brilliant. But my argument would still be if, if we're going into the Champions League again next season, I'd probably still want someone maybe even better than than Liam Scales because again that that has to be our aspiration. We should always be looking for better. I think he's he's more than showed that he can be a, a good squad player now and and a deserved starter at the moment, hundred percent. But going forward, I think yeah, that's that's the level that he set the standard and, and we need to be he needs to keep that going. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, and it's nothing for me. It's no service to Liam Scales to say that because I'd say the same that's where I am with Greg Taylor you know and there's other areas of the park you're looking at you're thinking if we really want to progress I think at the beginning of the season I said I've got 
five or six players that I'm really quite confident with going into a Champions League game. I'm not saying that they are Champions League quality in so far as they're going to win a Champions League. But as a Celtic player, I'm happy with a core group of five or six players. The rest of them can be improved. So I think that that's natural to Celtic. In every transfer window, you should be looking to add that one or two top, top quality. And I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about quality. Guys that going into a Champions League game, you think, right, these guys have got it. They'll be able to, to deal with this. And some of them will surprise you. Uh, some of the players will surprise you. Did I think Matt O'Reilly was a Champions League quality player when we signed him from MK Dons? No chance did I think that. And he's come through and he yeah. is the best player we've had this season. So folk will surprise us. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you again. I see him yeah. uh, along with 900 plus commenters in the live stream. I get that 12.30 is not ideal for everybody. and um, We'll have plenty of tuning in after the event. Thanks everybody for your support. As always, leave your comments in the comment section. Please do that. And if you want to support what we are supporting this year, we, Jamie Tierney, the link is underneath this video. Tune back in at six o'clock tonight where I will go for a Wonder Room Paradise, a very cold Wonder Room Paradise, but it's back. So join us at six. And all that's left for me to say this afternoon is thank you once again to Asim Rabani for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.